0: Good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning. Boy, we have a barbecue and we get a crowd. We have to remember that. It's funny, when my boys were still at home, it seemed like whenever we'd have food, we had friends, or at least their friends. They got used to eating, which was a good thing. Well, open your Bible to Acts. Chapter 23, we're going to recap a little bit, at least from what we did Thursday night. Let's read verses 1 through 11. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and someone will get one out to you, so then you'll just join us as as we get there. Acts 23, starting at verse 1, Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest, Ananias, ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. When Paul, then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who were standing near Paul said, You dare to insult God's high priest? Paul replied, Brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest, for it is written, Do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. I stand on trial "'because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead.' "'When he said this, a dispute broke out "'between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, "'and the assembly was divided. "'The Sadducees say there is no resurrection "'and that there are no, neither angels nor spirits, "'but the Pharisees acknowledged them all. "'There was a great uproar, "'and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees "'stood up and argued vigorously.' We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Imagine yourself as Paul in this situation. And I want to go back a little bit further because Paul had been planning to go to Jerusalem You may recall we spoke about how he got to Jerusalem and there was already a buzz about who he was and what he represented. And so some of the people who were befriending Paul there at the church, James, the brother of Jesus, and the elders there at the church told him, Paul, you need to settle down. You need to make an agreement with these guys here. Who have taken the vow of a Nazarite, so that the the jewish people who uphold the law will see that you aren't against them he did that he went into the temple they accused him falsely of bringing gentiles into the temple they drug him out and they were going to kill him the whole city was in an uproar accusing him falsely so he, he comes to the city he tries to bring a peaceable resolution it starts a riot the Roman commander has to go down and pull him out by force. Paul then addresses the people, and again it causes an uproar. The people are tearing their clothes and saying, Kill him, he's not fit to live. So the commander then takes him into the barracks, is about to beat him. All in a day, right? All in a day's work, Paul. And then Paul says, Can you beat a Roman citizen? And he goes, I didn't know you were a Roman citizen. And so this commander, not knowing what to do with Paul, says, you know what, I'm going to put you before the Supreme Council, which is what we see here, and and find out what's going on with you. And as he puts them before the council, Paul just begins to make his statement, saying, I'm of good conscience. And the leader of the council has him struck in the mouth. It's not going well. It's not going well. What do you do? Okay, I haven't even gotten two sentences out and the guy smacks me in the mouth. What else am I gonna say? It's not like I said anything too, too bad. But Paul perceives that the council is divided between the Pharisees, which are the conservative Republicans, and the Sadducees, which are the liberal Democrats. And he he says something to, to stir it up between both of them. So now they're arguing with each other and not at him. But they're still so violent that they want to go and beat Paul up. So the commander, once again, is going, oh, my gosh, what's with this guy? Pulls him out of there. And there we see Paul in verse 11, which is the verse I really want to focus on. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so must you also testify in Rome. Whenever we see the scripture talking about God telling someone to take courage or don't be afraid, the reason it's being said is because they're not being courageous and they're afraid. It's not a hard one to figure out. Remember when Jesus was resurrected and he appeared in the room to them and they freaked out as you would too. And then he said, don't be afraid. Why did he say that? Because they were afraid. It was obvious. And so here we see the Lord standing by Paul and he says, take courage. I don't know why, but that brings comfort to me. To hear that Paul said, had to be told, take courage. Now, this isn't the first time. In fact, this happened earlier in Acts 18.9, where the Lord said, do not be afraid, keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have made many people in this city. Nor is this the last time, in Acts 27.23, It says, last night, Paul speaking, an angel of God, whose I am, I love that, and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. So we see there's two other times where Paul is told to not be afraid. And here, to take courage, which has the same connotation. Uh, There's fear gripping your heart. Be courageous. And I don't know why, when I hear and read Paul being told, hey, stop being afraid, it makes me feel better. (laughs) I'm comforted knowing that, you mean Paul was afraid too? Because I I get this idea, I don't know if you do, but I, I get this idea that, man, this guy, he just was not moved. He was a rock. Nothing swayed him. But here we have a glimpse in one of the movements. Moments where he is indeed being swayed, where he's doubting, where he's wondering, what's going on? I get into Jerusalem and I've been, they've tried to kill me three times now. What's going on? What's the use? And and take courage. You know, courage is, is an interesting thing. Because courage is not the absence of fear. In fact, many times when you are to be courageous, the emotion that you have is fear. It's kind of a rip-off. You'd think, you know, courage means I feel courageous. But really, usually what you feel is afraid. But in spite of your fear, you move forward selflessly. That's what makes it courageously. If a fireman goes into a burning building, you think he's not scared? Of course he is, but he's doing it for the benefit of someone else. So when he says take courage, it doesn't mean don't, you're not going to fear anymore. But in spite of your fear, I want you to know something. First of all, I want you to know that I'm with you. You know, There's two scriptures that kind of go hand in hand. Isaiah 12.2 says, I will trust in the Lord and not be afraid. If we have trust in God that he is near, then we're not afraid. But that's not always the case. Sometimes we have to work this backwards. And that's why we have Psalm 56.3 that says, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. You see, sometimes we find ourselves already afraid and then we have to move to trust. Yeah, it's better if you can trust the Lord and not be afraid, but that's just not life sometimes. Sometimes we find ourselves afraid and now we have to step into trusting God. And what that doesn't mean is you are not going to feel afraid, but what that does mean is you are going to recognize that you can put trust in the Lord. You can have confidence in Him. One of the things that we like is predictability. It makes us feel secure when things are predictable. But the truth of life is is that many times when things are not predictable, When there's trauma, when there's crisis, when there's tension and transition, we freeze. We feel afraid. And in those moments when that trauma hits, that crisis hits, like Paul finds himself here, what am I going to do? The whole city is trying to kill me. The council is out to get me, and I'm sitting here in a prison cell not knowing what's going to happen. At that moment, it's hard to see the moment. All you see is the past and wonder about the future. And you indeed become paralyzed by fear. We've talked about this before, how what fear does is it brings barriers and and stops you from crossing over those places. If you're afraid of heights, you don't fly or go mountain climbing or zip lining, you know, on those kinds of things. Why? Because you're afraid. It brings a barrier that keeps you from going. Well, what happens when you are afraid of life? And it just paralyzes you. It grips your heart and you are there not knowing what to do, You've seen what's happened in the past, the change that's going on. This did not happen like I expected it. Have you ever been there? You ever had life hit you upside the head and say, I wasn't expecting that? And then the future, you're not sure of what's going to happen. And we don't like that, we like predictability. You know, there's something comforting about going somewhere and knowing something's going to happen. You know, you guys ever go to 21 Choices, the yogurt place? You know, it's great. They have all these flavors throughout the month. And I always sample them, you know, because they give you a little thing. And I like to sample them. And so, let me try that, you know, pumpkin, whatever it is. And I, I try them all, but I always end up getting the same thing. I always end up with the vanilla with the Heath bar in it and some blackberries. That It's, bam, you know, it just works for me. But I've got to try the chocolate mint and I've got to try those things just to try them. But I'm comforted in that they still have vanilla and vanilla is vanilla. And I know it's there. Same thing with Restaurants, do you ever go to a restaurant and you always order the same thing at that restaurant? You know, and you have different things that you order at different restaurants. Macaroni grill, I get the shrimp portofino. I, I don't even need the menu. I've tried other things, but no, I want the shrimp portofino. And while everyone else is going, I don't know, I don't know what to get. I'm done. <laughs> I know what I'm getting. And, and I, I like that. I like. If they had take that off the menu, I'd be lost. I, I would write my congressman. I would want to know, what have you done to me? You've, you've changed my life. I, I had an agreement with you. I would come to this restaurant for this reason, and now I can't because you've taken that from me. We don't like change. We don't like things that take away that predictability but the truth of life is we aren't guaranteed those things. We're not guaranteed a job. This week, a lot of people lost jobs. People have lost homes. We're not guaranteed health. People have gotten sick. And f- we can find ourselves paralyzed with the change that is taking place, not knowing where our future goes. But you see, it said that the Lord stood near him. And sometimes knowing someone is near you makes all the difference. I love the story in Ruth, the book of Ruth. It, it starts off and we know about this woman, Naomi. But we know the story's not about Naomi because the book's not named after her. It's named after Ruth. And Naomi has a husband and two sons. The husband dies. They're in Moab because there's a famine. And then her two sons die. And so now she's left with her two daughter-in-laws, Orpah, that looks like Oprah, but just R is a different place, and Ruth. And Naomi's heading back to Bethlehem and says, you know what, my daughters, go. I have nothing for you. My life is devastated. All I can think about is what has happened in the past. The future is uncertain. I am stuck in desperation. Don't follow me. I can't give you a son to marry. I don't have a future for you. Leave. And Orpah leaves and goes back. And then Naomi begs Ruth, go, go ahead. But when it says that Ruth clung to Naomi and she says, I will not leave. Nothing will separate us except death. And your God will be my God and your people will be my people. And Naomi was blessed because of the faithfulness of someone else just as Paul receives encouragement because the faithfulness of someone else. Which makes us think, you know, we need people around us. It's good to have a Ruth, someone who will come by your side and stay by your side, and it's good to be a Ruth to someone, or a Ross, depending on who you are. It's good to be there for someone else. But what about when there's nobody? What about when there is no one else there? The Lord stood by Paul. Jesus said in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have tribulation but take courage. I have overcome the world. See, Jesus would speak into our fear to take courage because he's with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He would speak into our lives when we feel there is no one else who understands. Have you ever been there? Because I can imagine Paul is there. His brethren asked him to fulfill the vow with these Nazarites and it ended up turning into a riot. That didn't work out. His brethren who were the Pharisees were bickering and still trying to kill him. That didn't work out. The Roman governor, he wanted to knock him out too. That didn't work out. There is no one standing by me right now. But the Lord stood me. I can remember one time I was... With my friends, and I was having a bad day. This was a long time ago. I was in high school. So, you know, a bad day in high school is different than a bad day now. You know, I think, oh, I wish I had those bad days again. You know, oh, look at my hair. You know, what am I going to do? You know, that zit. What am I going to do? Oh, life is over. You know, the things that matter to you back then. And I don't remember. <laughs> for those of you in high school, I apologize. I, I'm not minimizing the zit, it is horrendous. Uh, <laughs> For the, you know, I was just struggling at that time and I just was going with my friends to, it was a concert, I believe, and I'd had a rough day and I had to do everything I could to get there. They didn't give me gas money and I didn't have much money and I got there and they all bailed out of the car before I'd actually parked so that they could get in and left me there to go find a place to park and then I guess I'd meet them somewhere down the line and I was feeling like, man, you know, where's oh, my friends, I'm having a bad day and they all jumped out of the car and it's every man for themselves and I was having a pity party and, and no one was invited, you know. I just, and I sat there in the car and I finally found a place to park that was like 10 miles from the place, you know, because everywhere else was taken. And I remember just sitting in the car just thinking, man, you know, what's this, what's this about? And I definitely just had this feeling of emptiness and no one there for me. And I remember the Lord saying, Sam, I love you. And it was enough to melt me. And, and it, it broke me. Because at that point, I recognized that the Lord was indeed near me. And that was enough. Enough. There, there are so many stories of those who are in prison who are going through times of struggle where they find comfort from the Lord. Corey ten Boom in the Nazi concentration camp would say that there is no pit so deep that he is not deeper still. And sometimes in those prisons of life, when everything else is quiet, the past is not good and the future is uncertain. We find ourselves in a moment where if we're quiet, we can sense that the Lord is near, that he's with us. And, and then it goes on. And, and I mean, Jesus doesn't say a lot to him but it's so full, it's it's so packed with with meaning. He goes on and he says, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem. What did he testify in Jerusalem? He started a bunch of riots. But as you've testified about me in Jerusalem, so I'm gonna have you testify in Rome. It didn't seem like he was very successful in Jerusalem. Everyone's trying to kill him. He's gotten beaten up a couple of times. Does that sound successful? Does that sound like something that you would say, wow, good, I hope this happens in Rome too? You know, No, what, what? but you, you see, we just do not see things clearly. We, we are blinded by circumstances and see so little of a big picture. About four years ago, someone had come into the church office and had asked if someone would go and visit this woman's granddaughter. She was very ill. She was at Loma Linda. But there was some things going on with this grandmother's relationship with her daughter so that the mom of this young girl didn't like the grandmother's religion. And she really didn't want her around the girl And, you know, those kind of circumstances are a little iffy. You know, I I don't, it's difficult enough going into a situation that is packed with emotion that is very personal. It's a privilege to go into a situation like that where someone is going through something very extreme. But if that person doesn't want you there, you really don't want to be there either. Because I've been there too where you go into a situation and it's like, okay, I, I'm, I'm making everybody uncomfortable and I feel uncomfortable as well. And usually I won't go into a situation if that person doesn't want me to go in, but the grandmother says the, the young girl really needs someone to go in and visit her. Would you go in? And I thought, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll do this. I'll, I'll go in and we'll see what happens. And Corrine and I, We're actually getting ready because the next day we were supposed to get on a flight and go with a mission team that I was leading over to Wales. And so we're getting our last minute stuff, you know, the little adapter so you can plug your razor in and stuff like that because I I lose mine every year. And so I have to go and buy another one because where do you keep those things, you know? You probably have a place. Mine might be there because I probably bought 10 of them, but... You know, I'm going and I'm getting all the things that we need for our trip and in the middle of this, I got to make this stop over at Loma Linda to see this girl and I'm not sure what's going to happen, the situation. And so Karina and I go out there to Loma Linda, we find the, the young girl's room and we go into her room and, and she's medicated pretty heavily. You know, she's got a, a rag on her head because she's bald from just some of her treatment and... and She's very tired, and I, I start talking with her, and I tell her, your grandmother asked me to come here to try and bring some kind of you know connection of why I'm there and why I'm talking to her, and so it's not so awkward for her. And She's just quiet and, and a beautiful young girl, and I ask her how old she is, and she tells me I'm 13, and I'm blown away because she looks like she's 19 or so. She didn't look 13, and I was struck by that. And as I began talking to her, I tried to encourage her to include the Lord in her life, to try and share with her what we're reading here, that the Lord is, is near you. He's with you. He wants to be a part of your life right here in this difficult time. And again, she's pretty medicated. She's not responsive. She's not asking questions. She's not really responding much. She's not shaking her head, yeah, I know. She's just sitting there laying down, and so I'm thinking, I don't know where this is going, if I'm you know, really making her uncomfortable here, and I just say, can I pray for you? And she says, yes, and I take her hand, and I pray for her, and I leave her a little card with my name and phone number on, and I... I tell her, if you need anything, give me a call, okay? We'll be praying for you. And and then we leave. Probably spent 20 minutes in a room about that. Go on our trip to Wales. Two weeks, we're there. We come back. I call to the hospital, and she's not there. She's been released. And so I didn't know where she was or how to get a hold of her. That was the last I had heard of her. And... About four months later, her grandmother comes back to the church office and and left a message. I I never really met the grandmother. I got the message and, and kind of was through a little, you know, note here's something that needs to be done. I got another message, or it might have even been a call, just saying the grandmother came by for that young girl that you went and visited, and she wanted to just let us know that she passed away. And she wanted to thank whoever the pastor was for going to visit her. It really made a difference in her life. When I heard that, I was overwhelmed. Because I had no idea that it meant anything at all. And I remember going into my office and just weeping, thinking, oh God, why didn't I spend more time? I didn't know it meant something. I didn't know it meant so much to her. I did not know. She didn't show any reaction. She was 13 years old, medicated. What kind of reaction was I expecting? I just felt so bad that I was so insensitive to the situation. And I thought, if that was my little girl, you couldn't have tore me out of that room. But that was somebody's little girl. And I would have held her hand, and I would have given her a hug, and I would have told her how much Jesus loves her, and I would have tried to make more of an impact than I did. I just didn't know. But the little that I did was enough for that time. And you know, sometimes we don't recognize how a little bit makes a big difference. And you're thinking, I can't do a lot. I don't have the ability to be powerful and dynamic. Well, just do a little. You have no idea what it will mean. Paul, as you've testified of me in Jerusalem, what have I done? I've just started some riots. I haven't done a whole lot, God. It's enough. It made an impact in this community. I want you to do the same thing in Rome. You see, be faithful in the small things, and God will bless you in the big things. But take that step and walk in faith in the small things. Have you ever noticed in in Hebrews 11, the hall of faith as it's called, some of the names that are in there? Jacob. That guy was a conniver. He ripped his brother off out of his birthright. There's a guy named Barak in there. He's got like two verses. And his verses in Judges talks about he's asked to go and fight battle, and first he says to Deborah, well, if you go, I will. Way to go, dude. (laughs) Samson. If you were to put your fantasy football Hall of Faith team together, would you put Samson in there? Would you... Include Samson in your list of hall of faith. Yeah, he did some good things, but man, the guy had some problems, that whole Delilah thing. And throughout Hebrews 11, righteous lot, what is that about? All the names that are listed in Hebrews 11, we don't see anything negative mentioned about these people all we do is see the faith that they had in the things that they did. And it's as if God is, is saying, this is how I see things. And we say, well, God, what about these things here that I've done? What about the lack in my life? What about the lack of faith in these things? God says, what are you talking about? Look at these things. Look at what's going on. Look at the things that I've seen these people done. You have no idea the impact that these people have made in the things that they've done. And we say, but what about this? What about our limitations? What about our faults? What about our failures? What about the crisis, God? What about the things that I cannot get over? What about my situation, my condition, my lack of work, my lack of strength, my lack of health, my lack of ability to communicate? What about these things? And God is saying, oh, man, don't you see what I see? Don't you see the impact that they've made? And it's as if he's just blind to these things. But you see, that's what faith in God does. You put a little bit in, and God produces something great. You put a little bit of faith in a great big God, and he takes it from there. He'll take it from there. My kids were learning to ride their bicycles, take the training wheels off. And all the boys had to learn at the same time. You know how hard it is to run after a bike so it doesn't fall over? And they all three want to do it. I'm like, okay, son. And they start off and you're running behind them and and you're holding that little thing and you're running there. And they're like, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. And you're, yeah, you're doing it, son. Great job, keep going. And you're keeping them from falling over until finally they get the momentum and they get the balance and they they've got it. And they're all like, yeah, I did it. And you're like, good, I'm glad you did it. You had to be there. They never would have got going if you weren't there. But they had no idea. See, all they could see was in front of them. Their pedaling, and their excitement, and their momentum is going forward. But their father was behind them, was with them, was taking care to make sure that they didn't fall. Your heavenly father is with you. He's standing with you. And whatever your limitations are, there's nothing that can stop you if you would put your into the hands of the living God. Take courage. Don't be afraid. He's with you. And as you are testifying of Him to your friends, to your neighbors, to the people at work, testifying, I'm hardly doing anything, I'm not doing much, do a little. And God will make it a lot. But you've got to do a little. You've got to do what you can. And God will do what He can, which is a lot. It takes that first step. Have faith in God. Let's pray. Father, we do ask, Lord, that you would increase our faith. Help us to not be paralyzed because of fear. Because the situation that we find ourselves in is not what we would want or not what we expected or seems insurmountable God may we stop right where we are at may we not allow the past to influence our future but may we allow faith to influence what we do even when we are afraid we can trust in you and I pray, God, that you would help us open our eyes to see, Lord, that we are not alone. That as you've worked in, in Paul's life, in this situation, in the life of Naomi and, and Ruth, and all those throughout the scriptures that are, are there for our learning, Lord, you are no further away from us. You are near and desiring to work. God, help us to see that. Help us to live like that. That you would not only change us, but you would change others because of us. Father, we lift ourselves to you and our inefficiencies, our inabilities, our lack, our failures, our fears. And we ask that you would be God in our lives and through our lives. We surrender them to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I hope this has challenged you this morning. But, you know, a challenge is only and only goes as far as you're willing to take the next step. Some of you here this morning maybe have never made that step to surrender your life to God and say, you know, I I want you to be a part of my life. I want to acknowledge you in my life and no longer just think of you on the side or something that I go and pay tribute to. I I want you to be there and near me always. We want to help you in that. If you feel that is your situation, that you are distant from God, but you want to draw near to him, you you feel and sense that he is, is putting on your heart, you need more of God in your life. We want to assist that. That's why we are here. And we encourage you to continue to come here. And I would encourage you to talk to myself. You can talk to Danny, talk to Alex, to John, who is speaking up here. And ask us, how, how can I get closer to God? What do I need to do? Because it's not difficult. It has nothing to do with joining a church. It has nothing to do with giving money or anything like that. It has to do with giving of your life and surrendering the pink slip of your life and saying, God, I want, I want you to take care of this. And we want to help you in that, pray with you, and encourage you in any way we can. And so I want to encourage you to talk to us. Don't leave if you sense that taking place within your own life. We want to help you to, to take that next step further. Why don't we all stand? And Danny's going to lead us in the song.